It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Welcome back, my friends, to our podcast today. Hopefully, you had a fantastic week. Hopefully, some good things happened to you. Hopefully, someone came up to you this week and said, what do you know about God? Hopefully, that happened to you this week and you had a good answer to bring them based on what we've been looking at in the book of Colossians or maybe something that we've talked about previously. But hopefully, you had that opportunity this week. Let me ask you a question, church. Have you ever wondered what pastors do exactly? I know you're familiar with pastors on Sunday morning. They get up, they welcome everybody. They give you a message from the Bible. They tell you that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, wise, popular, successful, all those types of things that you hear. Well, I have bad news for you. None of that is true. If you really want to know what God is doing, you need to get in the Word of God yourself and read. So what exactly do pastors do? What is their job? Is their job to make people feel good? Is their job to tell people things that will keep them coming back so they will give money to the church? No, that is not the pastor's job. In today's portions of the book of Colossians, we're going to look at what Paul has to say about the job of a pastor. He's going to tell us exactly why he is doing what he is doing. He answers the question, you know, what am I doing all this for? Why am I involved in this thing? Remember, he's in prison. Everyone knows he's in prison. He's a jailbird. But he's there for a reason. He's there because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are many Christians around the world today who are imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look today at what he's saying. He answers this question of what am I doing this for? Why am I all about this? He tells them that as a believer, as a missionary, as one being sent to the Gentile world, he has three three activities that encompass his work. Three activities. We are in the book of Colossians. We are still, believe it or not, in chapter one. Although today we will be traipsing into chapter two by a few verses. But we're going to start in Colossians 1, verse 24. Colossians 1, 24. He says this, I am continuing the work of Jesus Christ. Continuing the work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 24 begins this way. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Remember, he's in prison. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, whoa, back up. What does this mean? I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. What is Paul trying to say? Is he trying to say that Jesus wasn't enough? 
There is a large church today in the world that is operating that will tell you, yes, Jesus did most of the work, but we have to do the rest. We have to maintain our salvation. We have to do those good works. We have to perform all those tasks so that we can ascend into heaven and be gods for all eternity. That is a false church. If you ever hear that, run away. So what is Paul trying to say? That that he is completing something that Christ didn't do. Well, let's reference that by going to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. He says, How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, what is he talking about here? What is he saying? In Romans, he's talking about the necessity of evangelism. He's talking about the ongoing mission of the church, which is to go out into the world and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ so that those who have not heard may hear, that those who have not believed may believe and be included in the family of the saints. What Jesus did on the cross, this is so critical, church, you will see this all throughout the New Testament, what Jesus did on the cross was enough for all mankind. But just like any medication that is life-saving, unless it is administered, unless it is taken into the body, it does no good. You can know that Jesus Christ died for your sins, but if you do not become a believer, if you do not submit to him, if you do not call upon him to be saved, then you will die in those sins. So what is Paul talking about? Remember, Paul's in prison because of preaching the gospel. He's wanting them to know that he's doing this for a reason. And we see it right here in Romans. How can someone believe in Jesus if they don't hear it? Now, if you know that preaching Jesus can get you jailed, if you know that proclaiming Christ can have you attacked on the road, stoned, uh, imprisoned, then you may not want to do that. You may not want to be part of that. But God gave us the mission When Jesus ascended into heaven in the book of Acts, he said, go into all the world and make disciples, preaching them the gospel so that they might be saved. Now, that's what's happening right here. Paul is saying, I am being faithful to what I was called to do. In the book um, of Acts, when Paul is converted to Jesus Christ, uh, you know, Basically, Christ says, I'm going to send you out to the whole world, and yeah, you're going to suffer, and yeah, you're going to uh, encounter these rough times, but I'm sending you as my disciple, as my apostle, as my, as my missionary. So basically, he's saying, I am finishing up that thing which was assigned to me. We can compare this to 2 Corinthians 1, 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 1, 5 and 6. It says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings 
that we suffer. So there it is, church. We are called into the life of Christ. We are called to suffer. We might be rejected because of our faith. We might be made fun of because of our faith. We might seemingly miss out on all of the fun things, though I've never really understood what is great about drug addiction and alcoholism. It doesn't seem like those things work very good to give you a happy life. I've never seen what it means to go out there and just live a life irregardless of the consequences, and then later in life, you have to reap the consequences of that lifestyle choice. So I don't understand how that's a good thing, but I do know that Christ came to save us from making those decisions, from going down that road. So the very first thing that Paul is saying here is, I I am continuing the work of Christ. The job which belongs to every Christian, your job, Christian, is to continue proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ until you no longer have breath in your body. That is your part in the gospel mission. What Jesus did stands, but our job is to bring that knowledge to the world. So that's what Paul was talking about there. So the very first work he's doing, I am continuing the work of Christ. The second thing I want you to see is this. He is perfecting the knowledge of Christ, perfecting that knowledge. Sometimes people know this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's all they know. That's the only little verse they learned in nursery school or, or VBS, or they might know John three sixteen. But do they really understand what it is Jesus came to earth to do? Giving up that divinity, accepting the body that could suffer, accepting the body that could endure heat and cold and hunger and thirst, just so that he could connect with human beings and share with them the gospel that he came to bring us. So how does he perfect this knowledge? Colossians 1, 27. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, your hope is not in your good works. It's not in what you do, how many times you go to church, how much money you give to the church. That is not your hope. Your hope is the fact that Jesus Christ lives in you through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual entity can see it. We cannot, but we go by faith that that is our hope for glory. It says in uh, verse 28, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Wow. What are we talking about here? There's some important words here that we need to know. So it's time to put on our Greek hats. Our little Greek hats help us to understand what exactly Paul was trying to say. If we go back up here, he says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles. This word in the Greek, I'm not going to bore you with it, means to certify, to declare, or to make known, or to give to understand. Okay? So basically, when we say things like Jesus Christ, came to die for our sins. That's not enough. People don't understand what that means. It means we have to get in there and really certify this is true. We need to declare it, make it known, make it understandable, explain it. So if we're going to explain it to others, we have to first know what it means ourselves. That's why a good study Bible is indispensable for the Christian life. A good study Bible can give you this. Um, If you want to know what that word was, it's gorizo. 
Gorizo is to is to certify, to declare, to make known, or to give understanding. So we're going to make known, we're going to give understanding among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ Jesus. And he says, we do this to present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, this word to make mature is teleos. Teleos is a great word. It means completeness. You may actually have the word perfect in your King James. Uh, by perfect, they do not mean that you are sinless and that you are flawless and that you don't make any mistakes. That's not what the word means. That's what the English word means. And that's why sometimes it is confusing. This word right here, teleos, means to be complete, to be of full age. Remember that before the age of 13, you were not accountable to the law for offenses that would lead to death, not in the Hebrew culture. So before 13, you were not an adult because you didn't have time to mature to the place where you understood the consequences of your actions. Unfortunately, today, we say that the average person doesn't develop a prefrontal cortex till around 25, 24, 25. That means you can't see around the corner. You can't see the consequences of your actions. Why? Because our modern culture has extended childhood way into the 20s and sometimes into the 30s. Okay, let's be honest. I know some 50-year-olds out there that pretty much have a 13-year-old mentality. Can I get an amen from anybody who's got that person in their family? Yes, yeah, the truth, all right. They're out there. They're old in age, but their brain has just never developed, never grasped any of this. But to be teleos is to be complete, to have that complete understanding. So you see, we want to give everybody warnings, teachings, wisdom, so that they will be be fully grown, that they will be complete in Christ. And it says, I labor with this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. I want you to look at the word striving. I'm not sure what translation you have, so I'm not sure what words you're looking at. But if you look here in the Greek, it's agonizomi. Agonizomi is to be in agony. He says, I'm, I'm in agony proclaiming this word to you. It's, it's, it's my soul that's being torn apart doing this. He is looking for every possible way to explain Jesus to these people who don't know what he's talking about, but his soul is in agony. It is exhausting to him to try to find some way to make Jesus known, to make him understood. When we look at our family that are not Christians, I'm being serious, people. If you have family that are not Christians, you know what agony of soul is. You know what it is to look at that person at Christmas or at Easter and to know completely that they have no hope beyond this life. They have no hope because they do not embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is not a pleasant thing to say. That is not a happy thing to say. But it is reality. The reality is the people that we know and love who are not Christians have no hope in eternity. And that's an agony of soul. That's the agony that Paul felt. He agonized over how to make Jesus known to the people of his day so that they would not be lost, that they would not enter eternity unprepared to meet Jesus as judge instead of Jesus as Savior. And I understand that. And you can see that in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. We see it right here. Take a look at this. And he gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. There you go, church. You want to know what your purpose in Jesus is? You want to know what God's plan for your life is? Right there it is. Profitable work in the work of the kingdom to make him known. It says, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, there's that word again, mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He wants us all to be at that place where we know God the way that Jesus knew God, not because we are like God or because we are somehow equal to God, but because he has been so revealed in Jesus, we know our Father because we have seen the Son. This is so important. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about uh, by every wind of doctrine. And believe me, if you live in the world today, you are buffeted by waves and you know what every wind of doctrine is like. But he wants you to be like a ship with a stern rudder that can keep you going in the right direction. Even though these winds buffet you to the left, to the right, they hammer you, they wail on you. I've seen ships off the coast of the U.S., uh, East Coast and West Coast, for that fact. And, and I've seen them in the midst of storms. And you would you would not believe that these ships could actually could actually get safely to land. But then you look out there and you see a lighthouse. And the lighthouse is there to guide them in the opening in the reef or the opening in the rocks to safe harbor. Jesus is the lighthouse. He is the lighthouse to guide them through all of the buffeting lies and tribulation and all of the people out there with such confused concepts. And he's going to lead them to himself because he is the safe harbor. He is the one that can give them still waters, a place to anchor, a place to be safe from all this stuff. He says he doesn't want us to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about on every wind of doctrine, every new thing, every new book, every self-help plan by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Be careful when someone says, I have a new understanding. I have a new revelation. I have a new word from, from the eternal spirits of whatever's out there. If someone tells you that aliens from another world have contacted them and they have a better way of life, run. Run, church, because those are the buffeting waves of human doctrine, human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's what it means to be teleos, complete, a full age, to know Christ so well that all of these lies just roll off us. They hit us and we are amazed at their stupidity, but they roll off us because we know what the truth is. Now, mind you, church, be respectful. When you deal with people who have other religious beliefs, when you deal with people who believe in some of the most outstanding and amazing things you will ever hear in your life, be respectful. These are people who are lost, people who are dying in their sins, people who have no hope in eternity except coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're out there and we say, oh, what crackpots, what wild people. But you know what? They have no hope. They don't have any hope unless they can lay their hands on the person of Jesus Christ. So instead of mocking them or giving them a hard time or calling them crazy, let's see if we can 
agonize over a way to reach out to them with the truth of Jesus Christ. God is going to do what God is going to do. Our job is to simply sow the seeds and water the seeds and love the seeds. He will bring about the birth in the soul of the person as he draws them to himself. But our job is not to pick fun at them, but to 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 work day and night and that agony of spirit to reach them. The third thing Paul says he's all about is equipping the body of Christ. Equipping, we talked about that a little bit earlier on, but we are in Colossians chapter 2 now. We're moving out of chapter 1 finally. Chapter 2 now, chapter 2 verse 1 says this, For I want you to know how great I struggle, there's that word, I have for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. Paul's now talking to the people who come because of Epaphras, because of the other Christians. They, they have never seen Paul. They've never heard his story. They don't know his, his amazing background. They don't know that. They've never seen him. They only know the Christians that they have been brought to Christ through. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Jesus is that salvation, that answer, that wisdom, that treasure. We talk about how human beings are like clay vessels and the treasure of the gospel is inside. The most valuable thing is hidden in this, in this dying shell that we inhabit. But in our dying, in, this, in, our, in our humanness, we invest our time in something that is eternal so that when we are gone, the consequences of having lived will be that people will have, will have come to Christ in faith and that the gospel will have been put forward. He says, you know, I, I've come to that seat all, for all those who have not seen me in person. He says, I want them to be encouraged. Now, the word encouraged there is parakleto. Parakleto is where we get the word paraclete, which is the official name of the Holy Spirit, by the way. The word paraclete means the one who is called near, the one who is called alongside. Parakleto, called alongside. The purpose of the paraclete is to comfort, encourage, and teach. So there he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged, to be comforted. I want them to be joined together in love. The word love here is the word agape. That's the self-sacrificing love. That's, that's the love that gives without wanting to take something back. So I want them to have this comfort, this encouragement, this this. this, this envelope of love that will help strengthen them and support them. And he says he do that so they can have the riches of the assured understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery. We can find this right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Church, I know this is a lot to lay on you today. This is a big bunch of theology in a very small uh, package and only a few verses. I encourage you to go back, look at this several times with the understanding you have now. If you do not have a really good study Bible, go get a really good study Bible. Of course, um, everyone who knows me knows I use the Holman Christian Standard Study Bible. I think it is one of the best for the day and age in which we live. There is nothing wrong with King James. There is nothing wrong with New International Version. There's nothing wrong with the New King James. These are all great translations, but I choose this one because it includes all the verses that we have in the original uh, 1611, which was just a copy of the 1535, but I think it is very understandable for the people who live in this day and age. 
So 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, For the word of the cross is folly, or foolishness, or nonsense to those who are perishing. If you are not a Christian, the Bible seems like idiocracy. It seems like insanity. It seems like it doesn't make any sense. Why? Because there's no Holy Spirit living in the person to help it make sense to them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the message of God that call for salvation. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. All those who thought they were so wise, so clever, all the people who said God is dead. Well, guess what? They're dead and God is still going and doing what God goes and does. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since it, in its wisdom, sorry, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Meaning this, that according to the wise person, to the to the scholar, the, the gospel's too simple. It's too easy. What do you mean God chose to save us? What do you mean he came to die to take our sins so that we could be saved? That makes no sense. Where's our effort? Where's our striving? Where is us earning salvation? It doesn't make sense to them. But God made them look foolish because he simply gave it to us through faith. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preached through faith, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. They debate it out all day long. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. A very powerful statement that you can't rely on the wise people, the intelligentsia. You can't depend on the scientists and the philosophers of this age to give you the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why he revealed himself in the flesh so that people could see and encounter that power. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the people at Colossae. Here you have all the wisdom of God, not this school of philosophy that you have to go to for years and years and you have to think about this and question this. He's given you the answer, but do you believe it? Will you accept it? That's the question. We wrap this up by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, just to give us some more understanding. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God declared before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's saying, we're not giving you the traditional wisdom that you're accustomed to, that the Greeks are accustomed to debating in the open air. We're not giving you that. We're giving you something, a secret. And by secret, he means something that God spoke to his people centuries ago, that the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would be our Savior, that the Messiah would take through his blood away all of our sins. So none of the rulers of the age understood it, not, not the high priest, not the scribes, not the Pharisees. They didn't get it. 
Although we read in the scriptures that after Jesus was resurrected, after Jesus showed himself alive for all those days, that there were many who came to have faith, including people of the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They came to it because when it was too late to believe in him the first time, they saw the truth and believed in him finally. We have people like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to, to look at as examples. And if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All of this is what Paul is talking about. And he's telling it to the people right there at Colossae. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. If you know Jesus, you know it all. You know everything that there is to know to have the life that you are hungering for, thirsting for, desiring. And that's why it is so important for him to make all this known to those at Colossae while he's in prison. I said it before, if he were not in prison, he may never have written this book and he may never have given us this amazing understanding of who Jesus was. Well, it's been a great day. It's been a great run through the scriptures. We're going to keep going next week. Until then, God bless you, keep you. Go back to the scriptures, look at it again and again. Now that you have a different understanding, if you don't got that study Bible, get that study Bible. Read it, understand it, know it, because it is what the world needs today. There's an old song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, it's not. What the world needs now is a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you have that within you. Share it with the world. Till next week, unless the rapture comes, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial-free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.